welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me tonight is Andy. Hello. And our special guest, B.A. Lopez. Howdy. Tonight's main topic, we're going to be talking about fan fiction. Woo! (laughs) We have previously done an episode on what we called pre-internet fan fiction, That part one was our episode 53 and covered approximately 1967 to 1989-ish. So we're going to be looking at 8990 forward in this episode. Uh, Really quickly before we jump into that and uh, before I ask Dinda to tell us more about herself, we have some super quick housekeeping to do. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch-along commentaries. Most recently, we put up the press room audio from Star Trek Discovery from New York Comic Con. So all those interviews, the full audio is up on Patreon for our patrons. So if you'd like to join us there, you can visit patreon.com slash womenatwarp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all this week. So, Dinda, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with Star Trek, your fandom in Star Trek, and your history with fan fiction? Oh, wow. You know, you put together an amazing uh, list here, these resources, and I went through and it's a... You know, it, it's a little frightening to think how long ago some of this happened now. It's like 23, 24 years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, my dad was a Star Trek fan. And then I uh, I came kind of late to the next generation. And uh, it was um, an ex-boyfriend who introduced me to it. And, uh, and it was interesting because, like I said, I, I came in pretty late uh, and was instantly hooked on the people aspect of it. Um, and, uh, just, you know, great writing, great show. So it lured me in with that. And then being a geek, uh, at heart, it lured me into the technology and getting more into the technology side of it and, and figure that out. And, um, it didn't directly lead me into my job at NASA, but, uh, I eventually ended up working at NASA and became a huge, huge space geek. Uh, so it was a good fit. And, um, and, and just the, the whole Roddenberry-esque uh, optimistic view of the future and everything is something that really drew me in and continues to draw me into the Trek uh, universe. And when did you get started writing fan fiction? Um, well, like I said, more years ago than I, than I even care to think about now. <laughs> but uh, I found, I'm trying to remember, I found a, a couple of things after uh, o- online Back in the early days, I was thinking about the uh, the uh, the Trekiverse, uh, Alt Star Trek dot mm-hmm. Creative, uh, and I found people like Amy Raducci. Um, I found Sandra Guzdek. Uh, some of those folks. Uh, Amy was just she was incredible. The first story I ever read was The Cure, uh, which is still an incredible, great story, and uh, and started finding more people. Other like-minded kind of authors and fans and stuff and uh, decided I can't even remember what made me sit down and and think I could write something and and want to write something about it but uh, eventually I did and uh, was kind of shocked by uh, by the the 
the response and the uh, the well wishes and the people I met and uh, just had a great experience with it. Do you have any particular characters or ships that you write? Uh, yeah, I've only really ever done Picard Crusher. And, uh, ah, so this is why Sue knows you and loves you. <laughs> I've cracked the code. <laughs> yes. Well, true. I'm going to call you out a little bit because you also won the first ever Alt Star Trek Creative Award for Best Next Gen Story in a tie and Best Picard Crusher Story back in 1995. <laughs> so you're a celebrity is what we're is what we know now um i of course i don't think of myself <laughs> that way like i said it was really really humbling and a little bit scary um i, I remember going to an event you know the the group of, of women who became uh really involved in the pc the card crusher fanfic uh started the group bonk bev on john luke i, I think uh, amy and sandra started it and a bunch of other people joined in uh, have met some of my best friends in life uh, through that group, uh, traveling companions, people like Sue and other folks. And I remember going to the very first, uh, they were all getting together to go see Patrick Stewart at a play in New York. So I said, okay, I'll go. And uh, honestly, I was a little bit freaked out. One of the ladies showed up uh, from Germany and had created this uh, cover work for my uh, story and wanted my autograph and stuff. And I was like, whoa, what is this about? This is crazy. <laughs> Being internet famous is super surreal. It is. I remember when we went to uh, Star Trek Las Vegas and more than one person like recognized me uh -huh. and it was super weird. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm not weirded out at all. I really enjoy this. <laughs> there was a part of me that was like, but why though? Yeah. I mean, it, I, I knew exactly. you from the, the news groups and the chat rooms as Dinda. And mm -hmm. for some reason, my brain never put it together with the, the name on your stories of B.A. Lopez. So when it finally clicked and I was about to meet you in person for the first time, I really did freak out. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, I'm pretty sure I've told you that before, but it was absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get attached to our favorite fic writers and our favorite stories. Mm -hmm. Like, I am literally rereading one of my favorite fics today that I've probably read 20 times. Yeah, Mary likes <laughs> it too. But one of my, my favorite aspects about that part of the community, we're sort of out of order here and we'll get a little more chronological in a bit, but... um. I've talked about a lot, especially on, on recent panels, is that community that did come from it. Um, the bonk listservs were relatively small, and that made them intimate. We all really did get to know each other. We became close friends, as you said, traveling companions. Um, mm -hmm. And you just created relationships that I don't think exist in as many places or come, come as easily as they did then. And uh, I have said on panels that, like, the, the women who became my, my friends and mentors from this fan fiction community are the people that I called in times of life crisis. You know, something's not going right at school or at work or, you know, someone in the family is sick. I'm pretty sure that you, Dinda, talked me out of transferring colleges at one point. <laughs> 
I, I do remember giving you some help, like on resumes and and uh, some of that stuff yeah. and, and that type of stuff. So so that's cool. And and I, I love doing that. I mean, I just talked to uh, somebody called me, found me online. I talked to them this morning, gave, you know, in a professional uh, uh, sense now. But it's it's that whole thing. And and maybe that's from Star Trek. Maybe that's you know a certain type of people. But I just love giving back and and. Uh, uh, teaching, you know, is just inherent. And with Star Trek, you know, that whole, like I said, that optimism, there's this optimism in, in the Trekiverse that isn't in other genres of science fiction. And that's something that drew me to it and continues to draw me to it. Uh, because at one time, I even went out there and I asked, you know, my colleagues at NASA and I asked people online, I said, name me another writer, name me another universe that's been created in the future that isn't dystopic, that isn't, you know, humans are really terrible, we destroyed ourselves, we destroyed the universe, and, you know, we had to go and go on, or show me how schools are in the future, you know, and, and we could not find any good examples of science fiction where things actually got better. And, and that was really disheartening to me. So that's something, you know, when I have the luxury of being able to write again that I really want to write about. So were you involved at all in the fanzines or was everything once the inter came, internet came along for you? Yeah, by the time I got to it, um, I actually still have a stack of fanzines that uh, that I had ordered. Um, uh, I, everything I have right now is packed because I'm in the middle of a move. And uh, But yeah, I still every now and then come across those things. But by that time, most of it had been online in the uh, the uh, altstartrek.creative, the fanfic.net, uh, the private archives that a lot of people had. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I lost most of my own stories for a while and stuff and couldn't locate them if you asked me to on one of the, remember, jazz drives and hard drives and mm-hmm. floppy disk and, and who knows what, you know, sort of media. And now moving things into the cloud, into an online archive, um, I had to ask people for, uh, I would, I'd forgotten stories I had written and then people would send me stuff. that's like, oh yeah, I completely forgot I had written that. <laughs> and, uh, I, I probably don't even right now have a good archive of my own stories. <laughs> Crazy. Well, when we talk about Usenet and all Star Trek creative to go a little bit more into the facts and history of that. Um, it was actually 1982 that the first Star Trek board was created on the internet of the time. It was net.startrek, created by Roger No, And mm-hmm. as you would suspect, Star Trek fans began posting fan fiction to that group. And it lasted for a good five years. In 1987, Usenet groups started to be reorganized. Net.startrek closed down, and fanfic got moved, in a way, to rec.arts.startrek. And then it was in 91. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, I think this is the beginning of, of my favorite bits, this attitude. Posters to rec.arts.startrek felt inundated with Star Trek fanfiction. They discuss voting to create a rec art Star Trek creative. Uh, and during this period, uh, alt Star Trek creative was formed and still exists to this day, although it is not nearly as active as it used to be. 
but I still get an email every time somebody posts something to that board. Wow, I didn't know that was still out there. Yeah, you can subscribe, I think, through Google Groups. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. And doing those late-night chats and... Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking early days. We're talking, like, dial-up. Yep, absolutely. And trying to download <laughs> stuff. Ugh. I'm pretty sure the dial-up noise will like live in my brain forever. <laughs> oh yeah, downloading text was a lot. Where it would like download one like line at a time. I remember my very first website that I did. I did a a fan website on I think it was Angel Fire for <laughs> Titanic, and the pictures would take a solid 10 minutes for them to all load because I had these huge, large pictures of like really nice pictures of Titanic. (laughs) Ah, the internet. What a treasure trove. (laughs) Well, as soon as Alt Star Trek Creative really got it going in 1991, um, Trekiverse, the archive for Alt Star Trek Creative was formed. I just want to note really quickly that this was the, this archive was on a a university server. Which university <laughs> do we know? I I could find it, but I don't have it off the top of my head. But a lot of early fanfic was on university servers because there was a huge contingent of college age people on the internet. That's where the access was. So, so many of those early stories have .edu in the email address afterwards. Yeah, I remember being at, uh, yeah, I was working on my graduate uh, degree at the time and being in the university lab and being able to use those resources to, uh, to get the Star Trek stuff. And also remember there was a guy, Joseph Tivoli, T-I-V-O-L-I. He was one of the guys who, um, who helped, uh, again, some of that archiving and that type of stuff, setting up some of those systems. And that guy became really, really famous and really uh, started, I mean, that's a whole system, a whole another uh, thing to look into because he, like I said, he created some incredible computer resources uh, and possibly made a lot of money. Mm. Well, yeah, and the, the Trekiverse archive is huge. It still exists. It's still updated, I believe. Mm-hmm. The latest info I could find is that the, the current archivist is Katie Redshoes and the index maintainer is Stephen Ratliff. And that is a name that uh, ASC users will certainly recognize. Yes. Oh, Stephen. Uh, but Trekiverse is currently archiving everything posted on Alt Star Trek Creative, Alt Star Trek Creative Erotica Moderated, and Alt Star Trek Creative All Ages. That's interesting. So, like, you had different boards for different like ratings of stories that makes sense mm-hmm. see i didn't get into fan fiction until i don't know a couple of years ago really not that long ago like archive of our own is where i've read fanfic so like the new stuff so all of this like history and how fanfic used to be shared is tremendously interesting to me yeah, and the, the board sort of broke out the same way that Alt Star Trek Creative broke out of the discussions of the shows. You know, people started to feel inundated with erotica stories, mature stories, 
and then technically it be, just became alt star trek creative erotica first and then spam followed and then it became alt star trek creative erotica moderated after that so it, it certainly evolved throughout the years and um all ages began in 1997 so that's it's how it broke it up you really you sub- could physically not physically but you could go to the boards but a lot of people subscribed by email and just got you know the the list everything that came through that day so whether you wanted to see something or not you didn't really have a choice if you got the digest by email yeah and 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 now that i think about it you know one of the reasons that evolved that way is because there was suddenly this fear of people who were writing more adult star trek stories that oh my god i'm kids maybe getting this people under 18 could I become, you know, liable for providing, you know, that type of story to to somebody underage? And a lot of it started going offline and through the private mail list mm-hmm. because of that fear. And uh, so, so that was interesting that, like I said, something happens, you try to moderate it, you try to, it was interesting how the mu- community tried to self-police itself and put those policies in place, uh, even without government having to come in, which is awesome. And then, uh, and, and to see it evolve, and then to see people, a lot of people, even myself, pull back off the public listings and off the public boards into more private groups where, okay, I know these people, so I trust these people uh, type thing. Yeah, there was no, I hate the word, but gatekeeper, right? At the doors of ASCEM, you could just go into it if you wanted to. Uh, and a lot of us who weren't 18 yet definitely did. So <laughs> that's a thing that I'm admitting to on a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> May I ask, um, so you're, we're talking about some of the the more mature stories. Was there a differentiation between like hat relationships and queer relationships? Or was it all in one place? Or was was the queer shipping like not mainstream or like how did that work i mostly read picard crusher at the time but i don't i don't remember it there there weren't sub boards or anything so it all just came to the same place yeah but the the queer stories that i remember there were far fewer in the next gen set than there were of the tos well, yeah, because TOS has yeah. a, a much more natural ship, I think, in Kirk and Spock. But I definitely remember seeing some. Well, yeah. But I was just curious because I know that we talked about in our our first uh, podcast, we talked about how some people didn't like that aspect of the fanfic. And I was wondering if that, I guess, continued to be an issue in, in this period of fanfic or if people were still really open to it. I, I think if you remember, Sue, one of the things I, I that was interesting, again, uh, community kind of policing itself was that there was this whole list of acronyms and, and short, you know, shortened versions, PC, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, some of the stuff I had to look up to say, what does, you know, this mean or what does that mean? Because you would write a story title and then after it, they would put, you know, the initial for the for the pairing group, for the type of pairing, for all the stuff that may be in that particular story. Uh, so 
if you were looking for something specific, you could find it. Or if you wanted to stay away from something, you could also avoid it a lot better. And, and mm -hmm. I think uh, that was interesting. Like I said, the community very much trying to police itself in that respect. So tags, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. They came after the title and they tended to come in the same order. So we all just sort of fell into this this accepted pattern. Um, but also, I would say that fanfic was my first experience with content warnings. Yeah. Mm. You know, people mm -hmm. were very, very conscious, even in, you know, the, the mid-90s of, like, this story has this. This story has underage sex. This story has non-consensual sex. This story has whatever else. Um, just because people were, we were very conscious of understanding that not everybody liked the same thing or wanted to, to read certain things. Yeah, one thing that the fic community is extremely good at is tagging and um, trigger warnings. So, like, mm -hmm. you can write the most messed up thing in the entire world. I mean, I mean, like, stuff that people wouldn't even think to think of. It is in fic, for sure. And nobody will really get angry with you, usually. I mean, there are occasional, like, flares of, I guess, policing of certain ships or certain kinds of fic. But heaven help you if you don't tag it. Because that's when people will get really angry with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always found that to be pretty funny. Like, we, we sometimes get pushbacks on trigger warnings. Like, like, it's just for sensitive people. But really, it's a way for people to look at, like, a list of things and be like, this doesn't look like something I'm interested in and move on. Or if you have certain sensitivity to certain kinds of stories or, like, a certain ship is something that you don't like, then you can avoid it. And I find that to be very helpful and necessary and cool. And I wish that people were more conscious of that in our everyday world as they are in the fic world. Yeah, absolutely. Because I find it very helpful. It also helped you weed through things because there was no, when you got the digest email, <laughs> there was no filtering, right? Other than control F on your keyboard to go right to the pairing you were looking for. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 the yeah. thing I like most about archive of, archive of our own is that you can include and exclude tags now. So you can narrow down your search by ship, you can narrow down your search by rating, you can narrow it down by tags. You you want these tags included and you want those tags excluded, that sort of thing and um it's it's awesome. It saves a lot of time and it saves a lot of, like, mental energy. Mm -hmm. If only that came along faster. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a simple search algorithm. No. You know, like, this is something that they've been working on for mm -hmm. years now. Well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because I have much more on Archive of Our Own uh, when we get to it. But still in the early 90s. Around the same time that we had uh, Usenet, all of the, the message boards, and Trekiverse, things were, at least the way I see it in my brain, still kind of split up. Nothing was, was in the same place other than the Trekiverse archive of the ASC groups. 
um, people had personal websites where they'd post their stories. One thing that I remember specifically was story listings. So it, they wouldn't host the story. But it would just be a website that listed every story for a certain pairing and where to get it. This story is in this zine. This story is on this website. Mm. For this story, you have to email the author. That was a thing and a thing that I did. (laughs) (laughs) I can just picture young Sue emailing people and being like, I need more sweet, sweet Picard Crusher. Send it to me. That's 100% accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Uh, you're, You're absolutely right about the listings. And there were certain authors who did that because, you know, nowadays everything's affiliate marketing and you, and you do everything to get an email then to sell to that person. Back then, a lot of those authors for their own, um, whether it was ego or whatever, they, uh, they wanted people begging them, asking them for stories. And, and I think I, I remember certain authors, you know, oh no, you have to come to me for this story. I'm the only place you can get it. And, and I was, you know, I was never like that, but but I found it interesting that there were some sites out there and, and certain particular authors that just, um, they were just looking for that adoration and for people to, and some of them honestly weren't that very good. I mean, the quality of, of stuff out there was just, uh, th- that was the other thing that, you know, that you really couldn't tag. Uh, it wasn't until, Sue, when did the reviews start coming in? Was that... Uh, on uh, on fanfiction.net where you can have the reviews and stuff there started to be a lot of bad fic out there too and um and i think the review system and, and other stuff help because because like you said we're just if you're like me devouring everything everything you could find on that particular pairing or that particular topic and uh and you sometimes wasted a lot of time and and then the worst thing was an unfinished story mm-hmm. where you would get bits of a story and then the author wouldn't finish it. And you'd just be like, oh, my God, you have to, you know. And, um, yeah, that was really frustrating. Yeah, those are certainly things that I think came along with the move from zines to the Internet, right? We no longer have somebody who is curating the stories that are going out. You no longer have a central editor, although individual writers may have beta readers um you no longer really have quality control anybody who wants to post something can post something and you can see that as a good thing or a bad thing or both yeah but there are things you gain too like the Mm -hmm. instant feedback uh what from what i remember on usenet there wasn't a whole lot of commenting on stories that were posted other than like i liked this but the the comments or the kudos as they're called on on archive of our own I think really did start to come along with with fanfiction.net in the late 90s. I love, though, the idea of you going to an author directly and, like, the authors being like, well, what you want? What you want? I got, I got, I got a really sweet, sweet (laughs) card crusher, rated E, 30,000 words. You want that? You got to come straight to the source. I can just picture it. Like, if you think about it in like a physical realm, I picture them in like the back alleys with the big trench coats. And they've got what you need. They've got the stories. They've got the hookup. And that makes me laugh. That's funny because, yeah, now you made me think about challenge stories. Oh, yes. Which was a lot of fun where somebody would throw out, okay, you have to use these elements in the story 
or the story can only be a thousand words long, or it has to be, uh, you know, they would put um, all these, you know, I challenge you to write a story that has this, 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 and this. And then people would all take that same concept or the same challenge. And those were a lot of fun, uh, very creative. And uh, and I don't think a lot of those were, were out there. I think a lot of those were more private mailing lists perhaps, but yeah, that that was a way to get authors to put out more content and more interesting. And and as an author, it really challenged you to go outside your because I tend to be very canon related. I tend to be very strict on my, you know, physics, space, all that type of stuff. And so to have someone challenge you to say, hey, can you write something, you know, that's just so crazy over here? Uh, so that was actually a lot of fun. And I, and I think uh good for the community and good for authors who wanted to to try something different. Yeah, I mostly remember those challenge stories within our listserv. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, currently we have something similar in the idea of prompts, but it's less of like a challenge and more like this is a story I want someone write it for me. (laughs) Oh, no, the challenge stories were like, you have to mention a fork, and they have to appear in (laughs) England. And like, it was... It was bonkers. It wasn't like, I want a story that has a puppy in it. It was like things that were were off the wall most of the time anyway. And I mean, I think a lot of people get into writing fiction or like fanfic because they are practicing. Mm -hmm. Like it's really good practice if you are interested in writing professionally Some people just do it for fun, but it is also, it's a writing exercise that has feedback. It's almost like a, like a writing group that people like, or like a workshop, writing workshop that people who want to be professional writers will do. Like you go to college for that. Like that's a huge part of what like MFAs are about, are writing workshops. But you can do the same thing through fanfic groups and it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when, you know, you first put stuff out there and there was no Grammarly. There was none, none of the, those helpers. There was uh, even spell check was, was, you know, in the infancy. And uh, so getting other people to be your beta readers and, and stuff like that and, and having that feedback was, was, yeah, was critical and a lot of fun too. There are a lot of professional authors that wrote fanfic. And when we had Diane Duane on, we talked to her about that and she used to write Star Trek fan fiction before she wrote Star Trek fiction. So like, it's, it's a cool way to, I guess, get your feet wet. That was true for a lot of the authors, especially in like the eighties for pocket books where they were people Mm -hmm. who wrote fan fiction in the zines prior who then got hired to write the profic really before they knew next gen was even coming. Yeah. And then when they started having, um, you know, it was that, that whole turn from paramount, you know, first trying to shut all that stuff down and then kind of embracing it all the way up until when they finally started having their own, um, contest, the, uh, the pocketbooks and, and what was it? Uh, was it Strange New Worlds? Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And and I thought about, you know, trying to do something for that, but I just didn't have time at that point. And, and uh, but was really happy to see that, that turn and, and to see that become more mainstream. Well, another turn that fan fiction took on the internet was uh, the move to fanfiction.net. 
And this wasn't really, you know, a consensus move. But uh, when this popped up in 1998, it was someplace that people could post stories. It had search features. You could look for the particular ship that you, you wanted or the particular series, which you couldn't even do on, on Usenet to that point, and post works in progress, get feedback. I don't remember if there was a rating system uh, like like Archive of Our Own defaults to, uh, but, I mean, fanfiction.net and also LiveJournal, where you could follow particular authors or form groups of people to follow as well, uh, is really where the, the next step was in terms of fanfiction on the internet. Yeah, I actually have read some fic on LiveJournal. Uh, I've read fic on fanfiction.net too, but like, I'm into the Dragon Age fandom, and there was a huge, it was called Dragon Age Kink Meme, and it was basically just pages and pages and pages of prompts, and then prompt fills. Um, and it was kind of interesting, like, how much writing was actually hosted on LiveJournal, uh, but it wasn't, it, it's not super easy to, it's not super well formatted in some ways so no definitely not (laughs) yeah so it kind of takes some digging to find what you're looking for and it was more like like a message board like a really Mm -hmm. really really long message board and it was hard to organize well and as a bit of an aside um in the last couple years live journal live journal still exists obviously but it was uh, purchased by a russian company who that opposes lgbtq rights So there was a scramble of a bunch of people trying to, you know, not trying to, but going into their old live journal accounts and pulling stuff off of it, getting all of the things that they wanted out of their live journals and shutting it down. So it was interesting to see people who hadn't thought necessarily about their fanfic in years going back in to retrieve it because it was still meaningful to them. Well, and that's the thing that's a little bit nerve-wracking about trusting an online archive is it can disappear. Mm-hmm. So, like, LiveJournal still exists. I still read fic on it because one of the my absolute favorite fics of all time is hosted on LiveJournal. Every once in a while, I'll go back in and read it. But it's so nerve-wracking to think that it could just disappear. So, like, I actually went in and literally copied and pasted it and put it in a google doc because it's just you never know you never know what's gonna happen so yeah if you are a fic writer out there always keep copies of your own work because as solid as some of these sites are and as solid as they seem you never know when they're just gonna their archives are just gonna go poof yeah absolutely and and you know, again, it, it's hard to, who do you trust out there? You know, which cloud do you trust? It's it's Google, iCloud. Uh, like I said, I've still, uh, when I move, you know, I, I found these old, that still have some floppy disks and still have some um, uh, jazz drives and stuff, media that I can't even read anymore on the current technology. And, and so there's probably stuff that have been lost. I found a whole, I've got a whole drawer full of printed out stories because, you know, again, way back then, we would, uh, you'd get the story from, or somebody would email it to you and, and you'd print it out. Um, 
and and I don't know if some of those stories are are available anywhere on the internet anymore. And and like I said, I know I I've, I've lost probably some of my stories just because I got lazy and wasn't sure where to move it, how to, you know, what to do with it. Um but yeah, so so that's an interesting piece that that who do you trust online when it's it's not your own server, it's not your own website. And even if you do trust like LiveJournal or somebody like L, um, you know, how much control Google, you have no control over iCloud. You really have no control over. They could change their terms at any times. Uh, so that's, a you know, something, I, I don't know if there is a good answer for that. You say, you know, keep your own copy, but what you're doing every few years is, is you've got to change it from, oh gosh, what was before Microsoft Word, you know, .txt file and then Word 1.0, mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. I have a, I remember seeing a floppy disk with McWrite 1.0 and writing stories in McWrite, um, but nothing can read that, wow. that format anymore. So, I, I don't know, I, I think you would have to make a conscious effort every few years to, if you have an old file, to bring it up to whatever today is and, and do that. But, uh, yeah, I, more time than I have, that's for sure. If somebody wants to take on that, um, you're welcome to my files. It makes me feel like someday there's going to be like internet archaeologists. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And their whole job is going to be tracking down lost information on lost servers, on lost floppy disks. Well, we already have, what is it, archive.org? Web archive? That has the, the screenshots yeah. of old websites throughout the years. The internet time machine. Yeah. Just in a tremendous amount of data. And actually, I was looking at the the Bonk homepage today at work through the, the Wayback Machine. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I still have Bonk.net. We couldn't get Bonk.com because... It was uh, the Bikers of Northern Carolina or somebody like that had it. Uh, some other had it. But uh, for a long time, I had uh, uh, the domain bonk.net or something. Did we explain that, that acronym in this episode, Andy? I okay. don't think so. So uh, bonk was that, that listserv we both belong to of the, the Picard Crusher Persuasion. Um, B-O-N-C, which in whoever's mind created it, meant Beverly on Jean-Luc. <laughs> so that's funny. what we're talking about when we say bonk. <laughs> right. That was Amy and Sandra yeah. who, uh, who came up with that. They were the first two uh, writers and some of the first ones who started that, that listserv. Yep. It was also a verb. Yeah. It, it, and I think most people <laughs> thought of it, it was... B-O-N-K, or think of bonk and bonking type stuff, yeah. and uh, and didn't realize mm -hmm. kind of the little play on words that uh, was actually going on. Because did even Gates at one time she was like, "Hi, bonkers," <laughs> at one of the uh, at one of the cons. Yep. And uh, and we're like, does she know what that acronym really means, or does she think it's just a group of uh, you know women writers or something? Well, I I told her what that acronym meant once, and I made her spit out her drink. So <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. I was also like maybe 15. <laughs> That's awesome. But 
You mentioned the group of women writers. Thank you for that transition for me. Uh, we talked a lot in, in our part one of fan fiction about how the fanfic community was overwhelmingly women uh, in, in the fanzine era. That continued to be true as it moved on to the internet. There aren't a ton of demographic studies, but I can tell you from experience, that was my experience. But we do have from fanfiction.net, they did a demographic study in 2010 of their writers and they only had two choices we were still you know dealing with the binary in most places that uh but their results were that 78 percent of fanfiction.net members not necessarily writers uh identified as female yeah that's not surprising Hmm. i'm actually a little bit surprised it's not more really because well if you think about you know, and again, not just um, men, women in general, uh, when you think about how they use the internet, you know, one, uh, men tend to be a lot more visual. And so if there had been, and I'm sure there were, I just wasn't into them, the um, uh, the image archives and, and things like that, as opposed to the, the written archives and the and the story and stuff like that. So yeah, that, that mm. doesn't surprise me that... Um, a large majority of women um, writers and, and readers and, and that type of stuff. And if you look at, I was looking with, on some Amazon um, writing and publishing some, some things there. And the people who want to write and, and make a lot of money writing Kindle books or Amazon books or books in general, the biggest selling stuff is, uh, is romance novels. So that romance novel, you know, genre is from a money perspective is just, it's incredible how much money people spend in in that genre. Well, Fifty Shades of Grey is like a third rate Twilight fic. (laughs) Yep. It's a, it's an AU, like a corporate AU of Twilight and it made one bajillion dollars. Which still makes me mad because of all of the great <laughs> fic out there, this one crappy Twilight AU like made all of the money, which is bonkers. AU, by the way, means alternate universe. Right. So like taking it, if you took Beverly and Picard and put them in a modern setting yeah. or <laughs> decided that John Luke was a barista. That would be an <laughs> AU, specifically. Or one of my favorites, which is post-World War II. Oh, yes. There are some good ones. <laughs> I, I have I have some of my favorite ones for Yuri on Ice is because Yuri is uh, J- Japanese and Victor is Russian. So there's a lot of really interesting, like, uh, Russo-Japanese war Fic and mm-hmm. then World War Two fic is really big there too because there are a lot of interesting like spy stories you can tell. AU's are the best. It's like how do we take our characters, keep them in character, but like completely toss their lives into a blender and see what comes out. It's yeah, it's great. Yeah, unless you know it's Fifty Shades <laughs> of Terrible. Well, it's of course you bring that up, but if you go looking on the internet for history of fan fiction articles, everything written, you know, in the last five, six years, maybe a little bit more, 
is it didn't start with Fifty Shades of Grey. There's a whole history. Like, yes. Oh, I know. That's yes, why I'm so bitter about it <laughs> is because this is our success story. Really? <laughs> like there is, I have read fic that is longer than like a huge dense novel, like a Russian novel that is so good, like as good as published stuff or better. Mm-hmm. And then this, I don't know what it is, but at the, at the very least it brought some like light onto the community, I guess. So in that way, but there are a lot of actually modern writers that ha- got famous in the fit community first and then ended up. Oh, for sure. Writing. I'm specifically thinking of Cassandra Clare who has her own issues, but yeah, Seanan McGuire is another one that immediately hops to mind. Rainbow Rowell. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's a, there is a fair few that uh, started out in fic and ended up in fiction itself. But Dinda, you mentioned earlier the like impermanence of online archives, the inability to know if you really own it, if terms might change, if your things might disappear, and. That, along with a particular incident, is sort of what brought us Archive of Our Own. Um, In 2007, there was a website called Fanlib that was created that had the goal of monetizing fanfiction. Oh, yeah. Yikes. The, The fic that was primarily authored by women was put on this site, which was run entirely by men, and drew criticism, of course, uh, which led to the creation of the nonprofit, the Organization for Transformative Works, which sought to record and archive fan cultures and works, very well put, and uh, then created the Archive of Our Own. And this was a website that was created by the community. Um, in an article called A Brief History of Fan Fiction on how we get to next, we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, there is a quote from Christina, I'm going to say Busse, B-U-S-S-E, who is the founding co-editor of the Journal of Transformative Works and Cultures. And she says, when AO3, Archive of Our Own, got coded, it was the largest majority women independent coding project anywhere. So you had people who'd never coded a line before in their life, learning a programming language and then contributing to the project. People learn usable skills in their pursuit of fandom, whether it's editing video or images or HTML. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They do a lot of work. They have fundraisers all the time, and and occasionally people get salty about the fact that they'll have a fundraiser. And I'm like, do you not understand how much server space they use? And how many queries they handle for every single time you look up a fic on their website. Like the amount of coding that goes into that. It's just a tremendous undertaking and I'm grateful for it all the time. Well, yeah. And like she said, they're usable skills. uh, Because, you know, think about the skills we had to develop Mm -hmm. just to to get onto a listserv, to create a website, to, to do all this stuff. I ended up, uh, I've done a lot of work in open source software for a long time, and it always amazed me, the communities, people are, are you know, they're volunteers, they're doing this literally for free, and people are always like, why are people doing this for free? How, you know, how can this even exist? This is all just community 
uh, goodwill type stuff. That's the only thing they get out of it. But but people do, and, and that's, again, for me, a very hopeful, a very positive thing that's come out of this to, to see people, that effort to just to do good things. And to, uh, to like, like I said, it, it expands, you know, people's skills. It brings new people into the community. And at least my experience has been pretty welcoming, you know, for new people coming in. Um, I, I was pretty fortunate I didn't have any uh, really bad experiences. I know, like you said, some people have. And But I remember that kind of rebellion when uh, somebody's going to take my stuff and try to make money and monetize it. Uh, and part of it was, well, there was this this other argument, like, well, you took Paramount stuff. That was the whole disclaimer. You know, Paramount created all these characters and spent all this money to promote these characters. And you're, but again, we weren't making money off of it. You know, none of us were making money off of it. It was just for for our own um, fun. And um, so, so like I said, it's been interesting to me to see these communities develop around the different types of fanfic and uh, and the different projects that grew out of all this stuff. It's just amazing, um, like I said, how much human effort and goodwill people put together to uh, to create this, this really uh, neat stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, I know I learned HTML at the very least and basic image editing, making a GeoCities website mm-hmm. in, in middle school or high school. And, and learning that, seeing that coding, seeing how you can manipulate a new media space takes away some of the mystery for you. So it's you're not afraid to learn more because you, you find out you can do it. Right. You know, and, and there's, especially in the coding of Archive of Our Own, there's an entire community that's doing it with you. And uh, coming out of that that listserv community, that, that mentoring community in, in the fan fiction world, we would show each other, you know, somebody would, it, it wasn't just, Hey, can somebody edit this image for me? It was, can somebody show me how to do this? Can somebody teach me how to do this? And there was a sharing of resources and a sharing of knowledge that came out of this as well. I will say that there, we have to talk a little bit about what I consider AO3 sister site being Tumblr because AO3 doesn't have the ability to like, send messages really like you can you can comment on someone's fic Hmm. but you couldn't like send them a direct message um and it it's not a board in the same way that some of the other fic sites were so what ended up happening is you would have your your conversations about fic on tumblr and then you would link to your fic on ao3 and they're kind of linked in that way which is interesting and if AO3 ever decides to expand to have like message boards and reblogging and microblogging or even direct messaging that will be interesting to see how that changes things I could only imagine that would make things much more difficult yeah I mean I personally think the system as it works now is pretty efficient I don't have a whole, like, I'm not super into Tumblr, but, like, when I'm talking fan fiction things, that's where most people are. Um, and I just think that's interesting. It's, like, it's like two sides of the same 
process, I guess. Yeah. So you're, you're back to, you know, like you said, a list of stories and just a story archive versus the forum and the medium for discussion, which, yeah, from a coding perspective, if mm -hmm. you tried to throw all that into one site with the moderation, yeah, that would be, you know, from a technology standpoint, a lot of bandwidth that I can see why they, they haven't uh, put that together yet. But one thing that's really wonderful with Archive of Our Own is the incredibly granular search functions. You can search by anything. You can search by type of pairing. You can search by character. You can search by by show or by pretty much anything you can think of. Um, and that information, the, the intense tagging that authors do on Archive of Our Own makes gives us data, basically. And uh, one of the users did an unofficial census in 2013. And uh, we will link to those results again in the show notes if you want to explore more. But it's just, it's so interesting to see the the numbers that, that came out of this. And again, this is five years ago-ish. 80% uh, of the respondents identified themselves as female, 4% as male, meaning that the 16% the was split among uh, the trans community. These are the options that were available. Both transgender and trans were options. Androgynous, agender, gender queer, and other was uh, totaled 16%. So there were more people in the, the gender queer umbrella or agender than male on Archive of Our Own. Yeah, I, I literally know of one guy. In, in the entirety of both of the fic fandoms that I belong to and I'm very vocal in, I literally know of one man. So it feel, just feels very much like the, the gender disparity is becoming much greater. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, guys out there, that you're not discouraged from entering the world of fan fiction. Please do. It's a wonderful place. Um, <laughs> the... Average age for Archive of Our Own Respondents was just 25 years old. Oh, wow. Which, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Only 38% of respondents identified themselves as heterosexual. Oh, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me either. 30.6% as bisexual, 15.9% as pansexual. And Ace, Demi, and Gray totaled up to 21.5%. That's a number that I find super interesting because they say that, I mean, all, all three of those fall under the asexual umbrella, and they say that asexual people are only 1% of the population, but on Archive of Our Own, we are apparently 25% of the population. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that, the, the reason that number doesn't surprise me is there's like this completely open environment that is extremely wel welcoming of queer identities with stories about happy queer people. You know, like, there's angst, there's tragedy, but for the most part, like, it's just hundreds of thousands of stories about people falling in love and almost, like, huge swaths of it are about non-heterosexual relationships. And, of course, that's going to draw you in. So it's like a refuge. <laughs> yes, 100% is. I mean, the number of stories I read about trans people 
on AO3 is just, it's so many, like, almost every character I know of has a tag for trans that character, where you, you can see them as trans, if you wish, and read all of the stories that imagine that character as trans. That's just so freeing, and it's so positive, and it it's like if you're if you're living in a world where you're not accepted, AO3 is definitely a place where that is accepted. Another number that I just love that came from from this study was that male male slash fic makes up forty five point five percent of all archive of our own content. Yep. So all other pairings, all other types of stories, just over half added up together. But it's it's totally like it, the front runner the leader of of what the the content the amount of content is on on this archive which is i i would say has become the main place to go if you're looking for fan fiction that's interesting to me to see how much is relationship based period because when you look at a lot of the traditional fic around star wars star trek all the other stuff it's it can be more sci-fi, more uh, more techie type driven. And I remember reading stuff. I You could just tell the difference between a, a male writer and a female writer without even with, with pseudonyms or whatever, the, the content. And uh, I remember, like you said, there were so few men out there. I remember one of the one of the strange feedback I got on a story one time is a guy sent me uh, feedback on this story and he was really upset. Because one of the things I did in the story was uh, I had Picard let his shuttle maintenance go. Because, again, it was a plot device to get him to where I needed to get him to. And this particular guy was really upset that Picard would never let that happen. And, you know, so it goes back to how... And I'm like, okay, it's a made-up story. And it was a plot device because I needed him to land on this particular planet. Um, And, you know... And you get into that canon versus, you know, again, getting the science right. And and I think women are more about the story, the relationship, and they can kind of let go of even some of the science and the physics and that type of stuff where, you know, maybe some of the, the men don't have that uh, ability to uh, to leave, to do an AU type stuff. So that, that was kind of interesting to get, uh, like I said, to hear from male readers and and see uh, you know reinforce I guess some of those male female things about how they look at uh, uh, writing in general and reading stuff and, and what they expect from stories. So how do you think people outside of the fan fiction community see fanfic writers? Oh, I mean with within the fan community and without. I think it's like any hobby. I always just looked at it as a fun hobby. So if you, yeah, so if you like golf, you know, you play golf, but people who don't play golf really don't understand golf. And so if you look at fanfic as a hobby and not um, something more serious than that, uh, like gamers and things like that, whatever your particular hobby is, people who don't share that passion for that hobby and that pairing probably don't understand it and uh, why you would spend that amount of time on something that maybe isn't going to bring you any monetary benefit so maybe there's that that aspect of it but again if it brings you great enjoyment you love you know playing video games or you love writing fic um 
for me, it was definitely a way to relax, to get outside of, uh, you know, your everyday type stuff. And, and I found a lot of readers that reached out to me. That was kind of how they were using it as well, too. It, it was interesting to me, the diversity of socioeconomic uh, spectrum that I got feedback from from different people. I mean, literally a woman living in a trailer with three boys and a husband who was a fourth child to people I knew at NASA and, and stuff like that. And um, uh, I'll let you in on a secret. Even certain um, spaceflight community people and astronauts were, were fic writers uh, and, enjoy, and definitely enjoying uh, fanfic and stuff like that. So um, it, it definitely, you know, spans the, the spectrum of, uh, of, of people out there. That's so interesting because I definitely feel like when you tell somebody, oh, and I also write fanfic, it's like it takes you to the next level of geekery. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like it's super gendered. Oh, yeah. So, like, there's always an automatic kind of dismissal of things that women do. Hmm. So we were talking about earlier about Amazon and how popular romance novels are on Amazon. The entire publishing industry is propped up by the romance genre. Mm -hmm. And yet name me another genre that is as looked down upon as the romance genre. And it's because it's written and, and, and read by women mostly. I feel like it's the same for fanfic in some ways that that, not everybody, obviously, but there are some people who look down on fanfic and think it's dumb and silly because it's written by and for women, by, by and large. And yet there's hours spent coming up with stories. There's hours spent for some people on research, depending on how detailed their story is going to be. There's hours spent writing and editing. And even so, you're still you're creating something. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're enjoying your fandom. And I don't, it, it certainly shouldn't be looked down upon, but to, and I think cosplay has for a long time gotten the same sort of bad rap. Like how can you look down on an aspect of fandom that is inherently creative? It just, it has never clicked in my brain. I was just about to ask you about some of the cosplay stuff because it was interesting. You said earlier, there's like this hierarchy of, yes, I know I'm a geek. Okay. Yes. I know into, I'm into sci-fi or I know I'm into fantasy or I know I'm into there. Okay. The next level is, okay. I know I like fanfic and then I know I write fanfic. (laughs) And then even, and then even then there was a line. I remember some people saying this, oh, but I'll never do cosplay. You know, like that was still the fourth level or something, uh, really, you know, stepping into it. And and now it's become, you know, like you said, so much more mainstream um, in many respects. And and uh, so how do you feel about that, Sue? Did you ever see that that progression? See, in my in my brain, they're flipped a little bit that, you know, Maybe I would say even like cosplay has become, especially in the last couple of years, very, very acceptable because it gets treated really well in write-ups. People talk about the construction mm-hmm. and the, the respect for that craft has suddenly shot up quite a bit. Um, but it, it feels to me 
and this is just me, that admitting you spend a lot of time writing fan fiction is like it, it, it's the top level basically <laughs> of of the the super nerd hierarchy um <laughs> and it that could just be my own reading of it that could just be my own experience of it um because you know they they have said in recent years make sure you google yourself before you go on job searches and for a long time old fan fiction would come up <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. am I going to have to explain that at a job interview? That thing I wrote when I was 13? <laughs> so, I, I mean, that could just be a little bit of my own embarrassment in the muggle world. But whatever. You can find it. It's out there. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> but we're... We're close to the end of our time. I really wanted to really quickly, if everybody can stick around, talk just a little bit about the tropes that have arisen within the fanfiction community itself. When you say tropes, do you mean like sex pollen or do you mean like coffee AU? Yes. Both? I mean, (laughs) we don't have to list them all. One of the big ones that arose out of Star Trek, really out of a muck time, was the F or die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So these two characters are put in a situation where they must have sex or they're going to die. There's a lot of Trek stuff that has ended up as fanfic tropes. Yeah. Sex pollen. Sex pollen is the other one that I was thinking of. Yes. Ship to ship combat, which is something that I had not heard the name of until today doing some research, but that is the fandom pitting two different ships against each other, arguing about who should hook up. (laughs) That is apparently called ship-to-ship combat, and I love it. Um, But I think the biggest one, the one that we hear bandied about quite a bit, is Rule 34. And Rule 34 is, if it exists, there is a porn of it. Yes. It can get really disturbing, too, because, like, in Overwatch, there's a new character that came out that's a hamster, and they roll 34'd him in, like, 0.02 seconds, and I was like, really, guys? Like, if we were going to let one go, it was going to be the hamster, but they didn't. Because people are perverts. <laughs> uh, no, bad. Bad internet. <laughs> so, um... I think we've covered just about everything. There is a post from a Tumblr user that I would like to read (laughs) that I think sums up the idea of fanfiction on the internet very well throughout the ages. Uh, I will try and get through it quickly. Uh, The Tumblr user is Berlin Wool, and we'll link to the post. But it says, The different fanfic eras as explained explained as lunch. Pre-internet. You walk into a room and sit down at a table. Someone brings you a turkey sandwich, a bag of potato chips, and a soda. Perhaps you're a vegetarian or gluten-free. Doesn't matter. You get a turkey sandwich, a bag of potato chips, and a soda. The Usenet era. You walk into a room and sit down to your turkey sandwich, a bag of potato chips, and a soda. Someone tells you that over at the university, they're also serving BLTs, pizza, coffee, and beer. Web 1.0. You walk into a room. The room is lined with 50 unmarked doors. Someone tells you, we have enough food to feed you and a hundred more. 
but it, we scattered it behind 50 doors. Good luck. And Web 2.0, 2 the present. You walk into a room. Someone points at the buffet and says, enjoy. You turn to see a hundred foot long buffet table piled high with every kind of food imaginable. To be fair, some of the food is durian, head cheese, chilled monkey brains, but that's cool. Some people are into those. And trust me, they're even more psyched to be here than you are. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's if it's out there, if people can imagine it, they can write it and put it on the internet. And even some of the stuff, I I just don't have that great an imagination, apparently. But some of the stuff out there, it's uh, it's interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of regret that the time that I was most into fan fiction, I was really only into one ship. I mean, like, in reality, I don't. But I kind of <laughs> wish I had paid attention to more than just the Picard Crusher stories. Uh, there was a time in the early 2000s that I was pretty sure I had read every single one on the internet. You probably had. And, and yeah, I <laughs> wondered about that, too, because, you know, I, I did tend to stick to, to that one genre and, and for a long time and stuff and, and writing-wise. And I tried to expand into some other areas. I, I knew some writers who went into some, some really interesting areas, gargoyles and all kinds of uh, comic shows and... Uh, a lot of Harry Potter stuff, but I, uh, and I think for me, it was just a matter of time. I just no longer had the time anymore to, uh, to dabble in that stuff and to, and to write anymore, which now makes me sad. So any final thoughts on our, our internet era fan fiction? Go read fic. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, go read it. it. It's awesome. Go write it. Uh, maybe somebody should start putting some of those challenges up again and, and get some of these old writers out of the mothballs. And because it really is good for your brain. It gets fun, good, uh, I won't say good, clean fun, but it's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, Dinda, thank you so much for joining us for this talk today. It was so much fun. Uh, if people want to find you or your projects on the internet, where would we send them? So I'm still uh, out there in social media, different places. Like I said, don't have as much time for it anymore. Still on Twitter as Dinda. And that was one of the things with that uh, name was that it was very unique. It is actually my nickname that my grandmother gave to me. And I was able to get, you know, Dinda at Mac.com and then Dinda all over the place, which was awesome. And um, But now I've got the project I'm working now is called the First School on Mars. Dot org, So that's a website and a curriculum project um, trying to, to work with some of my former NASA colleagues and other folks who anyone who's interested in thinking about living on Mars, colonizing Mars, what that school and what we have to teach the first generation of kind of kids who are going to be going to uh, living and working on Mars. And, uh, and that's kind of what I guess my my next project, I uh, just got the website up and running, just reached out to some former um, co-workers to help uh, work on that project with me. And, and that's something I, I look forward to having more fun with and uh, start thinking about the, the stories and uh, the kids are going to be writing from Mars. So that should be fun. You are a super badass. Just, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do something. 
No, Sue, you, you've been amazing, Sue. I really enjoy getting to know you and, and lots of other folks in the FIT community. Like I said, I travel with to see you folks and to um, get a lot of great inspiration from, um, like I said, seeing folks like you who I met when I was young and you guys were young. And, and some of the things these folks have accomplished professionally and personally is just amazing to me. So, um, and thank you guys at Women of Warp and Anomaly. I, I get to listen um, not as much as I want. I try to catch up on some of the pod, some of your older episodes, and you guys just do amazing work. And I really love uh, seeing your uh, your work out there. Oh, thank you. I can 100% for certain say that my life would be totally different without the fan fiction community. Oh, all right. So, Andy, where can people find you on the internet? Easiest place to find me is Twitter, at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting through my first time through Star Trek. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or with some creative searching on Trekiverse. If you'd like to reach the show, you can do so on Twitter at Women at Warp. Send us an email to crew at womenatwarp.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Women at Warp, or Instagram. Same thing. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. 